series of learning together from the Bible. We do that each Sunday here in church. Usually, boys and girls are in separate groups, and uh, grown-ups are, uh, and teenagers are in other groups. Grown-ups are here. But today, we're all together. And uh, we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at one of the books of the Bible called Exodus. We saw um, Exodus is a story about well, the, the, the account of how God's people come out of Egypt and end up in the land he promised them. And uh, we saw the passage from the Bible in Exodus 1 uh, on, the, on the video just now. If you'd like to just turn it up, you'll find it uh, on page 56 of the Bibles nearby. might be handy so you know I'm not making it up. Page 56, uh, you'll find it there. Hello? It's 58. Uh, sorry, it's 58. You're right. Thank you, Sue. It's 58. Now, we're back in that family story. We were in, in Genesis, aren't we? Uh, it's quite interesting. You see, remember all those kind of portraits coming down on the video? It's almost like, you know, when you go to a stately home, you can see pictures of the, the people who've been in that family on the wall, usually of, of the of the staircase or somewhere really kind of significant. And it's a bit like this as we kind of look into the Old Testament. These are like the family portraits. These are people uh, that are kind of connected to us. And it's almost like, you know, this is our family home, and we're kind of looking at the portraits and learning what we can of, of how God worked in their lives. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks because these people get to know God better. And Genesis is the first big story in the Bible. It's a book all about beginnings. It's about creation, how God made the whole universe. It tells us about how human beings come into existence and they're made to be God's special rulers over all of his creation. They're supposed to know him ruling them so that they can love him and rule the whole of creation on his behalf. But it all goes really wrong, doesn't it? All they mess it up big time, as you remember the story. And the mess just gets worse and worse and worse until God does something new and fresh. God introduces himself and starts to work in one man's family, a man called Abraham. A man who learns how to trust God, who gets to know him and his family get to know him through Throughout the generations, Abraham, his son Isaac, and he had uh, two sons, Esau and Jacob, as we know, and then there was Jacob and his 12 sons, and Joseph was one of them. Do you remember? We were looking at Joseph last time we were in this part of the Bible, and uh, he, Joseph, his dad, Jacob, all his brothers and all their families end up in Egypt. Remember that? And that's where it starts. And Exodus is all about how that story goes on. Now they're not just a few people in one family, but a whole set of people. They've become like whole tribes. Each of these brothers had had children, and their children had children, and their children had children. And now there was thousands of them, a whole community, and they were all there still in Egypt. They've been there many years. It, they've multiplied. You see, God promised Abraham. Do you remember what God's promise to Abraham was? We saw it on there. That his descendants would be multiplied. That he would have many, many descendants. And that's what had happened in Egypt. But God promised Abraham something else. Do you remember? He said, I'm going to give you a land as well. And that hasn't happened yet in this story. 
but it is going to as we see it roll on. Exodus is about how these people get to know God and start their journey with him towards the land he promised. And we can get to know God too as we kind of travel with them. So anyway, there they are all. There's many of them in in Egypt, but they're in trouble. It's going not well. There's a king, Pharaoh, who doesn't know anything about Joseph. That was hundreds of years ago. The people are a threat to the country, they believe, and all the Israelites end up in slavery. Have a look on page 58 at verses 11 to 14. Look at those verses. See if you can spot. How do you think they were getting on? What was it like for them? See some good words there? They're slaves, forced labor, oppressed, worked ruthlessly. Their lives are bitter. It's harsh. It's tough. These were God's people. This is supposed to be part two of Genesis. This is supposed to be the story of God doing amazing things in the lives of his people. So what's going on? Back in Genesis, a few pages earlier, actually on page 51, you will read very similar verses to the beginning of Exodus. On page uh, 51 in Genesis 46... It talks about uh, the people. In verse 8, it says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. That is exactly how Exodus begins. The writer to Exodus is saying, this is the story that's carrying on. Go back to page 51, and you look up a few verses from the very same part of Genesis. This is what it says. God spoke to Jacob, and he tells him, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. This was right at the beginning. Because I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, verse 4, and I will surely bring you back again. That's in the memory. That was the promise. That's what God told grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather Jacob. And that's what's been told ever since. You'll go to Egypt, I will go with you, and I'm going to bring you back again. But that was 400 years ago. What had happened? So where was God? Here you are, you're an Israelite, you know this story, or some of it. Where's God's promise? 400 years have gone by. It gets worse. You're a slave. And then it gets even worse, worser. More bad, more terrible, because all the male offspring of your families are told to be terminated legally. That's not good. But there are some people there. There are these midwives. And there are two mentioned in these verses. And their names are given. These ladies were meant to be delivering the babies and they were told to get rid of these children, these boy children, and they said, no, we're not going to do that because they trusted God. 
It says in the text, if you read it, they feared God, they respected God, and they did not do what the Pharaoh told them to do. See, they knew the story. They knew there was a future. They knew that God had promised to be with them. And so they said no to Pharaoh and yes to everything they knew about God. It's a dark time. God seems to be missing. But he's at work in people, in people who love him more than they love their jobs, more than they love their security even, more than they love their safety. These midwives are bold. They won't do what the king tells them to do. They kind of, kind of, kind of tell him, well, that we can't do that because, the, you know, we get there too late, they say. I won't go into details. We're too late on arrival. And, the, and they, they, they basically take a stand and God blesses them, it says. So here's these two, 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 two women, and there were probably more of them, who trust God and take action. In a dark time, they know God is with them. And there's more. There's a family. We saw it on the video. A family who have a son. And they're supposed to have got rid of this son. In fact, the law said they should have thrown him into the river, into the Nile. What do they do? Well, they obey the law in one sense, but they don't. They put him in a little basket. Actually, it's an ark. They call it an ark. And if you look at the Bible verses, it says it's a basket, it's an ark that's painted with tar to keep it waterproof. Does that remind you of anything? The story of Noah in Genesis is about an ark that was covered in tar where God's people were kept safe. Do you think Moses' family knew that story? Maybe they did. Do you think they believed that the God who rescued Noah could rescue their little boy, as yet unnamed? Well, they did a wild thing. They trusted God. They knew God had made promises. They sensed that God could do something. And it wasn't fate. It wasn't say, oh, well, we might as well put him in the basket and put him in the river and see what happens. This wasn't fate. The Bible says it was faith in Hebrews 11. And faith means that they trusted God and they took action on that basis. And they trusted God to do something and God did. Because they leave the big sister there to keep an eye on what happened. And you know the story. They offer to help bring the child up. So what was that promise to Jacob to all those uh, years ago? Don't be afraid. I will go to Egypt with you. God isn't mentioned much in this Exodus 1. But he's working there, isn't he? He's in the lives of those midwives and through this family, he's there as they trust him and as they take action. After 400 years, they trusted God and God was working in the darkness and in the difficulty. I'm going to stop in a minute. How old is your story? Maybe it's not very old. Maybe it is. Is it a long time since you believed those promises? Maybe it's a long time since you saw God work in your life. Maybe it feels sometimes, I think it's a long time since we've seen God work in an amazing way in our own lives maybe, or our community, or our church, or our country, or, or wherever. 
Or let me ask another question. How dark is your situation? Is God sometimes a bit absent, or so it seems? You wonder, where is he? What's going on? How do I keep going? Well, faith hangs on to the truth of the big story. Hangs on to the God who made these promises. The God who is acting in the past. Faith believes and trusts and acts upon it. Trusting God and taking action. Can our lives like, look like that? It's the way you get to know God. You may take a small step. Some people have taken a small step by doing something called try praying. So somebody thinks, oh, do you know, I think, I might, I think God might be there. I think if I, maybe I could just ask him. And there's a little booklet called Try Praying, and, and it's like almost like an experiment. And you, you pray a prayer uh, one day, and then you start a little journey. Other people know what God has said and respond to it in other ways. Maybe we can all take small steps. A step that says, even in the dark, I'm going to hold on, trust God, and take action. We'll come back to another part of the story in a moment or two. In Egypt, for 400 years, having a really, really hard time, haven't we? And we've seen that they've got this promise from God that uh, he would bring them out, that he would be with them there. And we've seen that although he seemed miles away because it was so hard, there were people who could trust him, have faith to trust him and take action. And we also see that God was working in the circumstances because uh, Moses ended up in the Pharaoh's household. He got his name given to him because he came out of the water. And God was working quietly, what, what theologians call providence, in the background all the time. Well, let's see what happens next. And I've got another couple of great stories. We're going to read them in Exodus chapter 2 on page 59. Let's see what happens next to Moses. It starts in verse 11. Moses is now all grown up. Well, maybe not all grown up. He's a teenager, maybe, or maybe a bit older. We don't really know. But let's see what happens to him. Verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Remember, they were slaves. They were working on the bricks. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. They're his own people. Went back to the same place. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Now when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. That's a place way out in the desert beyond Egypt, on the way back to where um, his people came from. He sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs uh, to, uh, and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. Woohoo! Bit of um, 
tricky stuff there. But Moses got up and came to the rescue. He shooed, you know, he must have been pretty tough. He must have shown that he was from Egypt and that you weren't going to mess with him. And these other shepherds ran off. And so the girls were going, woo, our hero, Moses, wow. And they returned to Ruel, their father. They said, why have you returned so early? They obviously used to get bullied every day at the well. It used to take them so long. And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And uh, their father said, where is he? And he asked his his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help. Because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So here's Moses. He's all grown up. He's an Egyptian royal, but he's still in touch with his family roots. He knows the story. He knows the promises, I assume. I believe, you remember that he was given his mother to look after him when he was a child, I guess he stayed in touch with his family. He certainly identifies with them. And it says in this little passage, it says twice, he went out to be with his people. And went out in the the original word is the same word as exodus. It's the same word that's used when they left Egypt later on in the story. So something quite big is going on here. And, uh, you know, he goes out and uh, he tries to rescue one of his people. He loses it. His temper flares and the Egyptian is dead. He buries him in the sand. Next day, he goes back. Why did he go back to the same place? I don't know. Maybe he thought he'd try and rescue his people. Maybe he thought they think, way, he's going to be for me. He's killed an Egyptian. And then he, a couple of uh, his people are having a fight and he says to them, don't fight. And they say, why should we take any notice of you? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Moses thinks, oh no, I'm in trouble. And he flies, he flees, he gets out of Egypt and he goes to this place in the desert. He's had a go at leading them. He's had a go at rescuing them. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that, that what he did was kind of based on faith. He kind of believed that God was with him, and, and in a sense he was. But it didn't go well, did it? Didn't go very well at all. He maybe has an idea that he could be a rescuer. God had rescued him from the Nile. Maybe he thought, because of my childhood, I'm invincible. I don't know. But he ends up on the run and miles away. All Moses can rescue is a few teenage girls, no offense teenage girls, I'm sure that's really good, um, and all he can lead is a flock of sheep. It's not quite perhaps what he expected, I don't know. And while Moses is in, is in hiding, it's getting worse for the Israelites. It says at the end of the passage, they groan in pain, they cry out in agony, as a taskmaster's task. You know, the, the guys whipping them. As their whips hit their back, they cry out. It says actually in the Hebrew, they shriek in agony. It's hard. It's difficult. But something else 
is said here, it says they cry out to God for help. And it says in verse 24, God hears and he remembers his covenant. He starts to move. Moses isn't the rescuer. He can't really rescue anyone at this point. But God can. God is the rescuer big time. Strange language, isn't it? Does it really mean God had forgotten? You know, like it says, God remembered his covenant. Like, you know, one day God looks at his mobile phone and says, Oh, oh no, there's a reminder there. I missed that. I forgot my covenant. I made that covenant with Abraham. Oh my goodness, I'm so absent. Is that what? No, no, no. It's a way of kind of talking about God in a way that we can understand. That's what it means. It's, uh, again, it's limited. It's a limited picture. Uh, It's part of the picture. It's not the whole story. It's a kind of, oh, that's great. Excellent. It's a reduction for understanding. What it's showing is that God works in answer to prayer. That's what it's showing. And that's interesting, isn't it? God has plans. God has purposes. God's made promises. And they will be accomplished. They will be kept. But somehow, in a mysterious way, our praying is part of it. And that is a mystery. God is not away somewhere. He's still there. He's involved and will take Moses' failed attempt. And he will make him a leader, as we'll see. But he's going to make that leader in, out of Moses in God's way, not Moses' way. The big story of Exodus is about how the people can be rescued. And it's God who is going to do it for them. And as we go through Exodus, notice how many times God says, I'm going to do this. There's lots of talk of God's mighty hand. Uh, when we get to the, the amazing story of, of when they look at the, the, I won't give it away, but you probably know it, when the Red Sea and God says, I'm going to fight for you. God is the rescuer. God will use Moses, but God will do the rescuing. Look out for that. Now, when Jesus came, he said he came to rescue. He said on one occasion, I have come to look for and to rescue the lost. His plan is to rescue us. His purpose is that we should know him. He wants us to be rescued. He wants us to be uh, in his family. He wants us to be forgiven from the sin that dominates our lives and to be free to live in a new way. That's what he wants. But we have to ask him for that. We have to realize we need it. Like the Israelites cried out to God. They realized they needed him. And we ask him to write us into his big story. That means we live for him in his way as he comes into our lives. Have you realized? Do we need to get again the fact that we've been rescued by Jesus? We'll have a bit more about that in a minute. You need to just be thankful for that. Or if you've not known him in that way, maybe it's time that you asked him to come and be your rescuer. And remember that faith trusts God's, trusts God rather, and takes action, even in the darkest times. And he hears, he's committed through his covenant, and he will answer. We're going to sing another song. And boys and girls, you...